Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Welcome to a very special episode of the EU VC, where we dive deep with Oliver, founding and managing partner of Speed Invest, for a one-of-a-kind and super nerdy discussion on Speed Invest's newly launched fund four of 500 million euros. Speed Invest is one of Europe's hands-down best seed stage investors and a household name in the industry that takes a perfectly oiled and scaled investing machine to be able to achieve. So stay tuned for some unique insights from the man who's built it and who continues to pioneer innovation in our ecosystem. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. The 15th of December is the day you need to have in mind. EUVC is hosting a webinar with Kathy, David and Andreas. Kathy will show us how to approach PR as an individual and as a firm. Sign up at eu.vc forward slash events. Oliver. Welcome to the show. It is so great having you back on the European VC, and it's for quite an announcement. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't be more happy to be here again. And, and yeah, speaking about Speedinvest4, it's been quite a lot of work, and we're finally ready to go. It really must have been quite a bit of work, because it is a 500 behemoth of a fund. So tell us, you've, together with this, published uh, what you're calling uh, Seed at Scale, the reason why we raised the 500 million euro fund. And... I will maybe start with the same question as you do in that um, that manifesto. Why should anyone care? Because we're seeing a lot of fund announcements all the time. Totally. And to be true, uh, not too many people care, right? It's, it's the truth. I guess I felt the need to explain what we're doing, to be honest. You know, we do things quite a bit differently than most other people. And for some, it's still confusing. And for me, it is not. So I wanted to get it out there. And at the end of the day, why should people care? Because if we do it well, if we do it right, uh, it actually may change the industry to the better. So that would also mean a better service for the founders. And that is something that is relevant, I hope. <laughs> it absolutely is. But Oliver, let's jump into the question of why you believe that venture capital tends to be a bit too much just about the money and how you at, at, at Seed Invest believe you can combat that. But let's start with the, with the why, is, why are things as they are today? I mean, everybody knows that venture and the service industry of venture hasn't changed at all, I would argue, over the last 20 years, at least not since I've been part of this ecosystem. It's pretty much all the same. It's good or great or not so good uh, investors that are more or less helpful one-on-one with founders. But it remained a very much a boutique business, very much depending upon the individual skill set of, of whoever is on the other side of the table. And if you look at other industries that have matured over the last 20, 30 years, I don't know, strategic consulting, private equity, the whole finance industry. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of, so to say, more sophistication coming into this industry. And for some reason, we all have been very, very complacent over the last couple of years here. And, And I think that's, that will change. And hopefully some of the ideas we have will translate into, into this change. Yeah. And then in your manifesto, you're talking about, you know, the three paths that you saw available to you when you, when you 
you know, had to kind of combat this. And you have, you can either go multi-stage, that's one way to scale, or you can just stay small and local, but then you can't, you know, by, by definition, grow and then serve more founders across Europe, or you could forge a new path. Would you take us through those three different models? And then, you know, we, of course, dive deeper on forging the new path, because that's the one that's a bit less well known. So let's talk about uh, discipline. Uh, I think uh, you've, there's so many uh, fund announcements out there. You already sound like my father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm old enough to be your father. Probably, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I know it's, it's not coming natural for me, but it's true. Um, there are so many fund announcements these days. Everybody's raising bigger funds. And there's a good question to be asked. Uh, is there discipline behind this? And at the end of the day, what has to match is, for me at least, the capital that you manage and the amount of deals that you do, the amount of relationships you're building with founders, with the actual other side of the equation, which is the human resources, the service resource that you have available. So that's why there was always kind of a, a balance in the system. Either you have um, a small seed fund uh, managing a small portfolio, that can work. That's a, that's a balanced setup. What also can work is that you have a, a, a multi-stage firm where you have a lot more people, uh, but at the end of the day, you do much bigger deals. You also may do a few seat deals, but the core of your business is bigger checks, Series A, Series B, where a lot of your efforts work go into. And that also are not that many deals. And then there's a third model that is, uh, so to say, you do a lot of deals. Uh, maybe SeedCamp is doing this or other doing it very well. But you're not leading these rounds. You're just participating in these rounds and therefore don't have to do the hard work of leading, uh, being the main other side of the table, mother's person on the other side of the table. Um, but any of these setups are established and well-known. Um, and the limiting factor are really resources. And the common, so to say, knowledge, the common wisdom in venture was, okay, there is not, nothing else you can do. We either have to pick one of these models. And we firmly believe there is a third way, and it has to do with resources that you have to invest in this business, uh, and you have to be disciplined uh, and match your additional dollars that you spend, additional deals you're doing with additional people, with additional talented investors to actually work with founders. And that's the Speed Invest way. Before we dive into the Speed Invest way, when we think about you know the, the multi-stage firm, what you often see, of course, is that they, they split the seed stage fund or out from the, from the later stage funds, and then it's dedicated teams to each. Why is it that you believe that that, that then causes the seed stage investing to become second, you know, second in line or by, a byproduct in that firm? Um, there, <clears throat> it's, it's again a question of resources. If you look at uh, the seed funds that are set up by um, the multi-stage funds, um, they are run, and that's the way they're set up, is, is really like building an option pool. Building an option pool of, of, of companies where you can then double down and really get to the core of what you're doing, which is deploying bigger checks. To build up an option pool, you don't need a lot of resources. You can do this with one or two people. Uh, you basically co-invest with others um, and, and simply make sure you have a seat on the table. That's the ambition and that's the goal of these funds. That's, uh, if you like, we, when we did uh, actually six, seven years ago, with Speedinvest 2, we launched a pre-seed vehicle. It was exactly that model. Two people, option value, very simple. That's a completely 
different value proposition than being the lead investor in your seed round that is basically fully aligned with you and has all the attention uh, with you and uh, with your company than, um, than building this option value. And that's the difference. It's very simple. Yeah, and you can argue that you can actually, in the current market, win with a model where you have, you know, just a uh, stock picker or, or someone who puts a lot of tickets. Uh, you can have that as a model uh, for the multi-stage firm because the competition on the seed stage level allows you to just say, well, you know, we'll come in with a bigger uh, fund next time. And, you know, we, everyone knows that we're very good Series A and, and, and late stage investors. So for that reason, you should maybe even give us pro rata rights or super pro rata rights now in the seed stage, just because you want us in the in the in the next stage. I imagine you've seen some of that, and that's how we've seen many of the of the of the later stage investors, especially the U.S. investors, having put many smaller tickets here, but they're then coming in for a much bigger share of the companies in later stage rounds. But what you're then say, saying, I guess, is if we had a seed stage player that was truly committed to seed, you would be able to squeeze those competitors out of those deals or at least force them into smaller uh, um, allocations because, you know, because you have a real value add at the seed stage. Yeah. The, the model actually works, right? But what you're saying is that if you come in with the other offering or when you come in with the other offering, you'll be able to win. If we, like, if we look at our real world out there when we do seed stage deals, um, multi-stage uh, competition, uh, competition for multi-stage funds is very rare in between. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at look at the typical seed stage vehicle from one of these big guys. It's typically, three hundred million or two hundred million or something like this, but it's typically on a global basis, and the European allocation maybe is ten percent or twenty percent of that. So that means I don't know twenty, thirty, forty million in Europe. And that is that typically split uh, in a handful of deals that are typically very high profile and very uh, big, big seed rounds. So I don't know. It's maybe one in 20 times that we see this, this really being an issue. Second, good founders uh, have quickly understood the signaling risks of this approach. Um, and we've seen it in our portfolio, of course. There is a chance that you get these wonderful top brands in your cap table, and uh, a year later, you have good numbers, maybe not amazingly great numbers, and they're not leading the A round. And then uh. you're in a very, very specific, not so fun spot. So uh, there are a lot of reasons why you want to work with somebody where the core business is focused exactly on the situation that you have, you have in front of you and where the interests of bringing the best Series A investor to the cap table in a year or two years' time is 100% aligned with you and you're not just an option value. So there are good arguments to be made, but of course you have to prove that you're actually delivering real value and to, uh, delivering real value more than 20% of one guy with one of these top funds. So before we go on to really diving into forging your new path or the, the speed invest path, I just have to ask you, what's your perspective on opportunity funds? Because I believe there's also a speed invest opportunity fund. Yeah, it's the first time we're doing this. Um, there we are learning. There is nothing super original about it. It simply is um, a mathematical fact that if we look at our existing portfolio and we will look at the last rounds of many of our successful companies, 
where we were not able to pick up our parameters, we left quite a bit of money on the table. And that's what this opportunity fund is. Um, as said, nothing original about it. We have 250 companies in the portfolio. We expect uh, to focus this capital on the top 10, top 20 companies and simply make sure that we can pick up our paratas in, 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 in the upcoming bigger rounds. And of course, you could argue the next two years will be a pretty good time to, to allocate this money. Just one question there, um, because I, I'm seeing different things. Some have opportunity funds that are open to new LPs as well, and others limit the access to the opportunity fund to existing LP base. How have you done that? Uh, we didn't uh, tie these things together. We felt confident enough, maybe. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it proved to be right, but <laughs> uh, that we don't need to tie these things together. We have a lot of LPs that are really committed to seed and they don't want to have anything to do with this with later stage, and vice versa. We have other LPs that love these opportunities, so we felt we can be flexible. I am in the first bucket, squarely in the first bucket. <laughs> so so that's just, I am at least of that inclination as a person. Uh, but there is some math that tells me that it does make sense to do later stage sometimes. <laughs> okay, so Oliver, let's dive into the uh, forging a new path as, uh, as as Speed Invest. You're calling it the seat way of scaling or, or what is it your phrase is? I'm just looking for it here directly. Uh, internally, internally, we call it seat at scale. We, turn it, we yes, call it seed at scale like in the that. sense that, you know, it's the, the question is, can you find sufficient synergies? Uh, can you find sufficient instruments that, that actually where, you, where your organization, your individual investor gets better because he's embedded in a, in a, in a setup that makes her or him stronger? Uh, can you find these levers? Um, and can you find them in a structured way and then really scale them? Like, like a typical startup. I mean, that's at the end of the day what you need to do. Yeah, the product market fit that scales um, with the additional resources you pour into that. And that's what we're trying to build. And that's a very different personal, so to say, choice uh, from us as, as, as founders and GPs than to stay within a very comfortable boutique style firm set up, which I 100% understand why people are doing it. Uh, it just happens that I'm a more, I guess, more of a founder at heart than, than anything else. So I love to build th things at scale. And that's what we're doing with Speed Invest. I love that perspective. And I, I thought the same thing when I saw it that, huh, yeah, there is definitely two different types of investors, the ones that are trying to build a, a firm that will scale and those that are, you know, building something that, you know, is meant to stay the size of it is and and leverage what they already have rather than necessarily build new. But let's dive into what you're then building because you're saying that there are five core components of, of this seed at scale approach. Um, and let's dive into the first one, which is VC is a team sport, not a one-person show. Yeah, so then again, the, the big question is, can you scale a firm like Speedinvest? Can you raise 500 million but still remain at seed? That's the, that's the big question right because you can easily raise 500 or a billion and go multi-stage and just go to the, the, the path of all the others what we try to do is we basically we always stay at seed and we uh we build a team we have now 40 investment professionals so that's a lot of people and of course you have to cluster them in teams and uh now what is the difference you can have also the alternative would be to say, okay, we have six six core themes, fintech, marketplaces, health, uh, uh, deep tech, and so on. And we have per, per, per topic, we have between five and eight people. 
And that's where we feel the power comes in. Now you can, of course, one person per topic, that's also nice, but it's a very different game if you basically have small teams that are fully, fully uh, autonomous and can empower to drive their own deals, pretty much like small funds, but work on top of a, of a scalable infrastructure. And that's where the team sport comes in because we firmly believe it's much better to have um, a senior partner, somebody with a lot of investing experience, being matched with younger people, with industry experts, and they come together and sit around the table and come, back, come up with the best decisions. Um, and that ideally gives us both the speed and the agility as small funds or micro GPs, but brings this additional benefit to the table of different perspectives, deep sector expertise, and um, yeah, also young and old mixed mix together, which I think is super important. Those who have listened to our other episodes with you will also have known that every time we've tried to dive as much as we can into the, uh, the nitty gritty details of VC, because you are thinking quite differently than most. Um, and, and, and I'll let you have your pick in terms of which one you want to dive into. But in, in, in the paper, you say that you execute many of the nitty-gritty VC details differently and against the grain. Think carry, manco, partner salaries, decision structures, governance bodies, and so on. And I would love to ask you, you know, if you would just add some notes to that, because the people listening into this are, of course, all building their own firms and, and thinking, hmm, against the grain, what does this, what this Oliver mean here? <laughs> I mean, we're operating in the financial industry uh, and therefore people are very triggered by money. Um, and uh, and you can, it's not uh, it's not natural, so to say, if you build something up like this to, to for example, spread carry, but to, to distribute carry on a broader basis. That's not the way most funds are run. On the other hand, if you believe that your long-term financial return as a founder, for example, for me or for my, my joint um, general partners, are really driven by carry and by driven by increasing success, then spreading this wealth makes a lot of sense in the early stages. And that's what we've been doing. So we have a much broader carry distribution um, than in pretty much all the other funds I know at least. Um, and uh, and really, so to say, invest into this, into this broader team setup. The second big difference is decision-making. So when we started to scale our, our seat operation, we were still uh, all the GPs and partners in one room and, and trying to come up with joint decisions uh, for each of the six investment teams. At the end of the day, this became a ritual and became a habit of consent and dissent, but much less uh, a feeling that we we're really elevating the quality of the discussion. So what we, we did, and I think that's pretty different again from most other funds, is we redelegated the initial investment decision back into the individual investment teams. That means we still tell each other what we're doing. We're still uh, reporting, so to say, on a weekly deal calls. But the initial decision sits squarely uh, with uh, with each of these six teams. So very different. Do they then have an allocation um, of the full fund that they... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's what you have to do, at least for the initial part, right? For the initial part, uh, for the initial investment tickets, you have to give allocations for the follow-on. You then have to look who is actually coming through with these great follow-on rounds, with great follow-on investors. And then that's where the money is going. Um, but the initial one is, is really given to the teams. Do you have any investors that are purely spending their time on follow-ons and making those decisions? 
the opportunity fund is, is has a basically an invest its own structure and its own decision uh, setup uh, on the follow-ons uh, within the seed fund. That's that's where then the the partnership jointly decides. But again, that's something that is very unusual. It's because we have twenty partners. Twenty partners means not every partner can sit in any meeting. You have to have a lot of trust. You have to have some partners that actually be much more engaged on the managerial leadership side of things. And you have other partners that are just totally happy to be out there uh, doing great deals and don't have to care about things. So it's a much more of a division of labor, which fundamentally is only workable if there's a very, very high level of trust. And that's the big cultural exercise. And that's why it's so difficult, especially if you're working pan-European with five different offices and six, six different investment teams to build this uh, really deep level of trust because at the end of the day, we all depend on the other to, to jointly this thing works and, and creates returns. There is one other thing under this bullet that I would love to dive a bit into, which is you have two joint ventures that offer HR and growth services. What do you mean by joint ventures and what can you share any light into how, how that is set up? Uh, because that's interesting. This came again, you know, entrepreneurial question. We we know we need to help our founders more in these areas. We don't have the cash. Uh, we don't have the fees. We started this five years ago, by the way, when we were much, much smaller. So we don't have the fees to pay all these people. So what do we do? Uh, what do we have? We have access to amazing deal flow. We have, we have a great brand. We have, um, the, we have great way to, to attract talent in these areas. Uh, so what did we do? We, we set up a joint ventures, uh, for example, in the HR field with people that have been, had had a lot of that had background in recruiting and in, in headhunting, basically. Um, and we created a firm, a company called Speedwest Heroes that is dedicated only to start up, uh, so to say, a service business in the recruiting area. Um, they, in the initial years, a lot of the um, the contract came from us, uh, so they got a lot of business from us. They also got carry, so we incentivized them uh, also in the, in, in the, in the upside. Uh, but of course, they were also able to win business with our portfolio, but also with third-party portfolios uh, out in the market. And given the credibility they had for working with us and the, the, the experience they learned in building very specific uh, service products uh, for startups, which is very different than what you typically do in recruiting. Uh, they had a lot of success. They are now more than 40 people and uh, are growing just by themselves. And that helped us uh, as SpeedInvest uh, to deliver a very different quality of service around this recruiting topic than we would have done if we just had only one or one and a half people uh, on the, uh, so to say internally um, to, to support. Counting SpeedInvest's uh, joint ventures, you're almost the size of A16C. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's a bit unfair. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it's a hack. It's a growth hack. Yeah, uh, it has worked. Of course, by, by, by now, we also have internal people on, on HR and we have internal people on growth, but they have, they work together with these uh, additional organizations and therefore we can yeah, scale where we need uh, without having to build everything internally. Hack for everyone listening in. Let's go to the next one uh, that's called expertise is essential because no one knows everything. It dives a bit more into the same that we just spoke about, but but it's worth pointing out. Yeah, exactly. At the, at the end of the day, um, what does scale bring you? It gives you the benefits of specialization. 
Uh, and uh, again, seed has been for many, many years, uh, not an area of specialization. Only the last couple of years, 10 years, we've seen specialist funds emerge. Uh, Course point nine is a great example, um, marketplace funds or uh, fintech funds. So that you've seen this, um, but you have not seen a multi-specialist fund. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. So we're trying to build these multi multiple specialist teams where people can really go deep into their passion. They can really build these network synergies between portfolio companies, between portfolio companies and LPs that are interested in a specific topic and so on. And it's not depending on one or two people that are passionate, but they're really teams. So it's much more resilient as well. We, we, if one of our FinTech team members or one of our T-Tech team members decides to go out and raise their own fund or start a company, we still have this team, we still have this knowledge. We hopefully have a, uh, a resilient uh, network to, to support our founders. And that um, setting is only possible if you go this scale route, uh, because otherwise you obviously are, are limited to yeah, uh, a handful of individuals that maybe can also specialize, but there's no there's no sustainable structure behind it. And that, that then translates into uh, non-vertical topics like HR or, or growth or business development, where again, at that scale, you can actually build meaningful specialization. And if that doesn't translate to value for founders, then, then I really don't know what else. <laughs> it's my hope. <laughs> I buy that argument. Okay, so third one is being pan-European has a lot of perks. Yeah, it's an interesting one, right? Uh, another another common wisdom that I always heard when I started this was, well, if you're a seed fund, it's local. Uh, and why would you, if you're building a fund that is very strong, let's say in Germany, uh, you will see enough great deals to to be just fine without having having to go beyond your specific core market. And that is the way, if you look at seed in Europe, it's the way still 80-90%, I feel, of the market is is, um, is, 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 is operated. Um, we did it differently, maybe because we came out of Austria of all places where there was simply no, you know, there was no way to stay in Austria. So, so we quickly had to expand um, and we learned, we learned that we are able to win, especially with this vertical focus topic um, in very competitive markets, like in the UK or in Paris or in Berlin. Um, and then you get to see the benefits. You get to see, uh, the waves of innovation going across Europe and seeing multiple strong teams working on very similar problems. And that allows you to hopefully um, come up with better business decisions and investment decisions. So uh, it's, a, it's a very challenging organizational model um, because, you're, because cultural cohesion becomes so important. But if you can pull it off, there are a lot of uh, positive benefits out of it. Just a question. Uh, it com comes from nothing related to <laughs> to your manifesto, but being pan-European also means that you have because in Europe we have very very different wage levels from from country to country, uh, and also cost of living, of course. How do you deal with that as as uh, you know as as a person building a team that really has everyone working across borders all the time? But at the same time, one could also argue that there's reason to have London based people paid more than someone in uh, in another part of Europe? Without going into too much detail, but we have um, uh, principals in Speedinvest that, uh, that got paid more than me uh, on a cash basis. Yeah. Uh, because uh, we have a multi, we have a country factor uh, that comes in. 
and that is very different between London and Paris and Berlin or Vienna. And it's it's, it's also the, it's a reality. It's fine. Um, our opportunity is, of course, to build a lot of the back office functions, a lot of the legal function, finance function, etc., out of Vienna, which is very as a very uh, good to moderate cost of living. But we need to build a strong team in London. There's no way around it, and you need to pay them market salaries. So we have to accept it if you want to go through with this. That's interesting, and I'm asking because we're, of course, expanding ourselves, and we're kind of thinking, okay, how do we deal with this? Because we're 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 pan-European first, right? <laughs> so interesting. Totally, and you need. I mean, the, the, what we did is we simply, you know, this thing you can delegate. There, there are studies out there. There are these factors. You use those factors. You don't argue too much about it. Everybody knows them. It's very transparent, and then you don't think about it too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, up until the point where someone <laughs> says, well, I'm now moving from London to, <laughs> well, we need to talk salary then. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's what we do. I mean, it's, it's people know it. Ah, that's uh, cool. It goes both ways. It's cool, yeah. it's cool to talk through. I think we have to talk about it in a transparent way in Europe for, for us to be able to, to get get. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Next up is VC is more than simply picking winners. Why do you believe it is so? Well, I guess everything we do is based on that premise. If it's if it's only about picking, then yes, you could. So you also need uh, feet on the ground, and you probably also need sector expertise. But you could do that much more lean and much more efficient. If you don't believe that you can add any value, um, then uh, then, then pretty much our model wouldn't work. And we wouldn't, at the end of the day, try to build a brand where founders truly come back and say, okay, work with these guys because they are actually delivering all these promises. And we all know uh, all the websites look the same, offices, right? It's all the, everybody has the same slogans, including us. <laughs> um, but if you're not, if you don't believe that sustainably long term you can make a difference in investing so much in this in this company, uh, in this company building that we are doing, then um, then you shouldn't do it. And, and we we firmly believe, and that was my very belief from day one when I started Speedinvest, that. Uh, as a founder, there was were so many things I was lacking, and it was so obvious that I could have could have had better help than I had. So that's the, that's the core of, of everything we do. Doesn't mean only platform work; it also means a lot of the work of the investment teams, pretty much all across the company. You had in uh, in your paper, you said that fundamentally there are two critical contributions that a seed investor can make: increase the likelihood of a startup survival while they continue experimenting, even when times are tough. <laughs> and that is definitely these days. And then to help accelerate an already functioning engine of, of growth. Could you dive a bit into both and tell us a bit about how the speed invest system works to, to, to improve uh, the, the... Yeah, yeah, maybe the, 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 the almost what could also be helpful, what can we not do? What we cannot do, we cannot save the company that is not working. Uh, that is, I learned this the hard way. I mean, we've tried it so often and it, it really doesn't work. If something is broken, if there's just a too long way from product market fit, if the team is not functional, um, no effort from any investor, at least not from us, can help. So we have to focus on other questions, smaller questions. And these, these are the specific ones that we tried to pick out. So the first one is uh, amazing team, really on a good path to product market fit, but it simply needs more time. And, and there, um, yes, we can help. We can help accelerate revenues by bringing customers to the table. We can help being more efficient in, 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 in marketing and 
and growth hacking, all these things that help you. Uh, and of course, we can hopefully are helpful in, in raising additional funds and having some funds ourselves to deploy for, for, for rich rounds, for getting ready to a series A and advising when the right point is to go out. And especially these days, this is such an important decision. You can so easily break your company by going out too early, you know, simply because you have no partner on your side that helps you to extend your runway, give you additional money, find a syndicate, whatever is needed to give you this extra six to 12 months and then help you hopefully along the way. But it's the first part, uh, but always on the basis of a, of a healthy um, platform of, of talent and, and, and product. And then the second one is just about momentum and acceleration. If you look at the last 18 months, this was all about creating a feeding frenzy for the next funding round. That was, of course, a big thing. It was a lot about creating FOMO on talent. Uh, again, coming back to our infrastructure on the HR side. Um, so these are very specific, almost surgical interventions where everything is working. We're just trying to be faster in, in getting them uh, in front of top VCs and, and so on. And that's there we've been, I think, pretty successful uh, in the last couple of years. Um, but the hard work and the work that is, uh, especially in the next 12 months, 18 months, will be more prominent, will be the first category, getting people through difficult times. Absolutely. I would love to ask you a bit about, because we, we spoke about operational support, and that's, of course, an important part here, but we haven't really spoken about the the community of portfolio founders that you have. I'd love to hear how you put them to use and really work with that, you know, on the back office angle again, because that's what many of our TPs are thinking about. Absolutely. And then again, every good fund has a community function, right? It's typically one person, maybe two, um, maybe there's a little bit of a CRM. Um, but, and, and to be honest, that's where we are. That's where we've been over the last two, three years. Yeah not too much innovation, not too much uh, tech that is involved. Uh, is there a massive opportunity? I 100% think so. Uh, but you need data. You need data, and data, again, needs massive curation and needs somebody that does the actual work because that's not going to be done by AI <laughs> uh, to really curate these experiences. Because what we all have learned, and everybody uh, knows this in the industry, community of funds only work if you're surgical and if you're absolutely to the point of, of, of actually providing value. Otherwise, founders simply don't have time for you. <laughs> so, so it's one of the biggest and hardest problems to solve. I think, I honestly don't think that many funds have solved it, um, but it's, it's the biggest leverage that you can have. And I think uh, with our portfolio setup, with 250 companies already in the portfolio and another 100 joining in the next couple, two, three years, uh, I mean, it's it's right in front of us. Um, so if you look where the fees are going from Speedinvest Four, a lot of a lot of the fees go right there because that's 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 uh, that's amazing. Uh, it is. It is. Um, I, I'm curious to hear how do you think about founder vehicles because that's something that, of course, we're pioneering a lot, but also something that that you know I think is, is spreading across the ecosystem as well. Super interesting. I mean, we have been back and forth within Speedinvest uh, how we can, so to say, do that also. At the end of the day, we then decided to, so we do have a special offer for our founders to participate in our fund and to, to so basically waving, waving carry for them. But it is one of the big signs of, 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 of health of the European ecosystem that all these founders are back to investing and then the small checks, bigger checks. So having uh, setups like yours um, or 
for others, I think is, is a massive positive sign of maturity and then will will happen more and more. I'll just look at the US, look at AngelList and all the things that have, have come through. Um, so great, uh, great opportunity. And um, uh, if you like, for you, I can, can just speak of Austria. Right? In Austria, we have done already three deals this year, which is way more than the last three, four years. Uh, all of these deals have been co-investments with one of some of our portfolio founders, some of our scale-up founders. And all of these deals have been teams that spun out of some of the scale-ups, some of the unicorns. Uh, so, so that's exactly what's happening, and that, that's the flywheel we all look for. Let's end on that very beautiful note. Uh, now, I have one final question, and that's on large portfolios are managed well, uh, or large portfolios managed well offer better diversification and top performance. I'd love to ask you just to, to dive in on that for a bit. We don't have too much time because I promised that you would make it to your flight, <laughs> but do give me a couple of notes on that. One of my favorite topics, it's, it's one, you know, so if you do Monte Carlo simulations, if you come from purely mathematical point of view, you run statistical analysis, what is the ideal portfolio of a venture firm? It typically hovers around this 100 portfolio, 100 to 150 portfolio companies. So, and it's, uh, you can run this under all kinds of, uh, so to say, market uh, environments. It's, it remains the same. Why are funds don't, why don't all seed funds have 100 companies per portfolio per fund? Simply because they don't have the resources to manage 100 companies. So, and, and that's the simple question. Can you build a seed fund that actually manages 100 companies just as well if you only run 20? And if you look at, if you then look back at Speedinvest, that's exactly the ambition that we're trying to, to, to solve. That's the question we're trying to solve. Because um, we all know power law. It's very simple. A few outcomes matter. Um, and with 20 portfolio companies, the, the risk of, so to say, having uh, one or only two or and that with a little bit of bad luck, zero uh, big outcomes is pretty high. With 100 portfolio companies, you're in a much, much safer spot. And you actually don't compromise on ultimate performance. That's, that's what math is telling us. Um, you know, just have to find the right resource setup to actually also make put it into reality. And let's hope that with your new fund that you have found that and the model that we have just gone through here. So Oliver, thanks a million for joining us for this episode where we dive deep on the brand new announcement of the 500 million euro vehicle that Speedinvest will now be charging towards the market with. Thanks so much. Thank you. Really a pleasure. And, and thanks for, uh, for talking to me about these topics. I love to talk about them, as you can tell, I guess. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. The 15th of December is the day you need to have in mind. EUVC is hosting a webinar with Kathy. David and Andreas. Kathy will show us how to approach PR as an individual and as a firm. Sign up at eu.vc forward slash events.